Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth, the third chapter. As we, be, as we begun this series a few weeks ago, we're now leading up to uh, the ch- third chapter. And, and what we'll see today is just that there is this love and concern that Naomi has for Ruth. It, it reminds me that we all want the well-being of our family, do we not? I mean, don't, please don't raise your hand, but does anybody pray that the Lord would just spite their family? And if that's you, in a few minutes, we're going to invite you to the altar. But I think we all want what's best for our family. And, and it's interesting that as time goes on, we, we do more for our family today than we ever did. In fact, we take care of them more than we ever did. I remember when we adopted Drew, all of a sudden now we had to have hand sanitizers on carts. We had to have, he couldn't sit in a buggy. We had to have this thing, um, you know. And if, if you don't know my philosophy, my philosophy is simply this. God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. Okay? And so, you know, just things change. Well, so I was looking at uh, how life has changed and came across this website that, of, that talks about just 23 things that our parents did that we will not do. Now, I'm just going to tell you right up front, probably this is the reason why I don't get called to babysit because not, I didn't agree with all 23 things. For example, one of the things is we grew up drinking out of a hose, garden hose. They're like, we would never do that. Who, who are you kidding? Drew gets thirsty, I'm going to say, drink out a hose. Here, here, you know. My dad taught me how to siphon gas out of a car. And if gas keeps going up, I'm going to use that practice. I'm just telling you. All right? So please come to church with your tanks full. But, but there are a few things here there are a few things here that I thought were interesting. Let me, let me show them to you. There's five of them I'm going to give you. Uh, first one was simply uh, giving babies soda, you know, like Coke, Diet Coke, you know, Dr. Pepper. In, in the 1950s, 7-Up uh, used to say it is healthy. In fact, it is so pure that you can give it to a baby and, and feel okay about it. That was their campaign. You know, nowadays, parents go, we're not giving them soda or Coke, whatever you want to say, candy. You know, kids are growing up deprived these days because they can't get Coke and Snickers and Twix and things like that. But anyways, you know, I thought by the time you were one, you ought to have your first full Coke, but evidently not. All right, the second thing, 
give babies bourbon to help with teething pain. Hey, my parents missed this one, all right? I didn't know this was a thing. Evidently, before teething toys, before, before teething medicine, what you did was you'd take bourbon, you'd put it on your finger and rub it on their gums. Maybe that's why we have so many alcoholics. I don't know. But, but you know, uh, it evidently is still a practice because in 2015, well, maybe not a practice that many people practice, but in 2015, this woman in Arkansas uh, was was arrested for endangerment of her 10-month-old because she put bourbon in their baby bottle to help them sleep at night. That may be a little too far there. But people, people evidently, I mean, just, just out of curiosity, anybody here do that for your kid when they were growing up? Uh, the bourbon on the teeth, not in the bottle. I, what? <laughs> Don't raise your hand if you put it in the bottle. All right? But if you put, put maybe did anybody's parent do that to them? I'm just curious. Oh, we got a couple. So, so there you go. So yeah, it was one of those practices every day. So number three, uh, letting kids cook alone. Now, I never thought this was a good idea. Although my mother will tell you at the age of 16 months, I tried this one day. Praise the Lord, the kitchen didn't uh, come to, to come burn down. But in, in 1957, Betty Crocker's cookbook had this statement in it about allowing kids to learn to cook on their own. And, and what, the, what the idea was, they need to start young and build up to build, uh, let them do burgers and dogs. And I'm thinking, how about a ham sandwich? Let's start something easy. But evidently that was the thing. Nowadays, we childproof everything in the kitchen. We make sure everything is safe and and we stand over their shoulders and cook um n- number four uh, letting kids roam as they pleased this is an interesting one for me because i grew up in the era w- when i just went anywhere we pleased in fact i was thinking about this this week my grandmother passed away when i was eight and i can remember walking the streets of litchfield kentucky with my cousin and my brother who were both younger than me. I mean, we were at the funeral home. You know, it's a little, certainly a busier street than South Green Street was, but it had sidewalks. And so we, we walked from here to Houchins to, to a gas station and got Cokes and probably candy that our parents didn't want us to have. In 2014, there was a survey done of parents about how much they did as a child walking. And 6,000 parents were surveyed, and over 30% said from kindergarten to first grade, we walked over a mile by ourselves. And that number increased to 40% by the time they were two in the second grade. Uh, in 1990, uh, that, that, uh, go to the parents of the 90s, that, that percentage has dropped to 10%. We just don't let kids roam. And, and there's good reason for that. And, and trust me, if you want me to watch your children, I won't let them roam. I, I promise. Lock them in the closet, yes. But roam, no. All right, and then the last one. The last one you're probably already aware of. Let kids ride in the car unrestrained. Listen, I rode in the back. We like to get up in the window. Anybody ride in the window of your mom and dad's car? Yes. Yeah, see, look at all these. And look how we turned out, right? I mean, we rode in the back window for miles, waving at every car. 
You know, we, we, I told Pam and I were talking the other day, or not too long ago, we used to ride the country back roads, crooked country back roads, in the back of my dad's 1974 Chevrolet Love. That's right, Chevrolet Love. And we rode on the toolbox, my brother and I, all the way to Litchfield and all the way back to Hardin County. No big deal. We ride in lawn chairs, you know. Uh, but today, oh no, get up here in the cab, you know. Uh, I don't know what my parents would have done. My dad cut out all the seatbelts of that Chevrolet Love when he got it. So, anyhow. We, 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 why have we changed all these rules and things? Because we care about the well-being of our children. We want their best. In fact, in fact, my dad, you know, I told you he cut out the seatbelts of the cars. He did. I mean, I turned 16. I was like, we got to put seatbelts in it. No, not really, unless you want them. But today, my father doesn't get in a car and go anywhere without a seatbelt. Why? Because he recognizes what a seatbelt does. Recognizes it saves lives. It recognizes it's wise to do that. So we've done all these things. Well, this morning in Ruth, we're going to see that same process. Uh, not, not, that, not that Ruth is drinking out of a hose or, or those types of things, but we're going to see Naomi's love for Ruth and wanting her best for her well-being. Now, if you've not been with us for the last three weeks, let me kind of bring you up to speed. Naomi and Ruth are our two main characters at the moment. Boaz is, a, is another character you'll hear a little bit about today. But Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. She and her husband leave Bethlehem because there's a famine in the land. They go to a foreign land. And as they do, their two sons marry these two girls. And her, Naomi's husband dies, and 10 years later, the boys both die. And so Naomi is a widow, and so are her two daughter-in-laws. There comes a moment when Naomi realizes, hey, God has answered the prayers back in Bethlehem. There's no longer a famine. I want to go back home. There's nothing here for me. So her two daughter-in-laws and Naomi set out to go back. And on the journey back, she stops and says, wait, wait a second, why are you girls coming with me? It's not like if I had a boy today, a child today, you, you'd wait for him to get married. Go home and may the Lord bless you. May you find a husband among your people and your God. Uh, the one daughter-in-law says, okay, I'm going home. But Ruth says, no, no. I'm with you. Wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. But only let death separate us. So they both come back. Naomi's a little bitter. She tells the people, come, hey, we're welcome home. We're glad you're back. And, you know, it's great to see you. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I left full. God brought me back empty. And so once they arrive, they've got to find a means to live. Ruth says to her mother-in-law, says, let me, let me go find some food for us to eat. I mean, it's not like you walk back and you've got a, a banquet, you've got all this stuff, you've got you to start all over. Ruth goes and she finds a field. She asks the workers, can I, can I, can I glean here? Because in the Old Testament, one of the laws was for a, a farmer, they were to not glean to the edges. They were to leave some scraps along the edges so that 
those who were poor or sojourning, coming through, could grab, could eat, could have something. So the guy says, sure, work here. And come to find out it's Boaz is the man's name who owns the field. Boaz looks and notices Ruth. Realizes Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And it's funny, and we looked at that text in chapter 2, how, how the writer tells us that, that Ruth happened there, but the writer was just being facetious because it's the providence of God and the hand of God. And so now she's gained, or uh, Boaz has found favor with Ruth, or Ruth found favor with Boaz, and they've, they've been able to start a conversation, and he took care of Ruth and Naomi. And she came back with five gallons worth of the grain, enough to feed them for a week. So now we come to chapter 3. In chapter 3 today, we'll, we'll see this story of redemption continue to play out. But it's a story today in which Ruth has an encounter with Boaz because Naomi, her mother-in-law, wants the, well, wants the best for Ruth. So if you have your Bibles and you're at uh, Ruth chapter 3, would you stand as we honor God's holy word? Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be willing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and put on perfume oil. Wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in a good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. She came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth. She replied, take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she laid down and laid down at his feet until morning, uh, but not going up until it was dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. 
He told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she had held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked, what happened, my daughter? And then Ruth told her everything the man had done. And she said, he gave me six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go. For he won't rest unless he resolves this today. You may be seated. Here's our big idea today. Life has many unexpected challenges and moments. Right? Agree? Life has many unexpected and challenging moments. However, a believer can find rest in God when faith is active. When faith is active. Let me point out to you this morning uh, four things I want you to catch out of this text about finding rest in God. Because that's what Naomi, Naomi wants to find rest for Ruth. Now, I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, what Naomi wants to find rest and for her to be taken care of is a husband. Ladies, we all know a husband isn't going to give you rest. Amen? Well, that's funny. I thought I'd get a good amen there. So, so we know that. But what we know is we'll find rest in God. And the same principles are going to apply here. So let's, let's find, how do we find rest in God? First thing is we have to be intentional. Be intentional. When we look at this text, you, you, we see that there's an intentionality going on. Naomi looks at Ruth and, and says, I, I want to find rest for you. I want you to be taken care of. And she intentionally begins to tell Ruth what she needs to do. There is this plan that's put in place. There's this understanding what needs to happen in order for her to find rest. But you must be intentional. In the same way for you and I. If you and I have this understanding that, that God is sovereign, meaning that God has a plan and a purpose and that God works all things out for, for the good of those who love him, then there, there has to be this intentionality on our part to seek God in everything we do. Knowing that God is sovereign, then there's a hope and a peace in our life. It doesn't mean we sit back, throw our feet on the table and say, well, I'm here, God. When are you going to show up and answer my request? There is this, this understanding that God is at work, and our responsibility, as Henry Blackaby always says, is where you see God at work, you join him. And so Naomi tells Ruth, we got to have a plan. Now, let's, let's understand Naomi's plan. Ruth, go get cleaned up. Saturday night, maybe it's not, well, we're going to take our Saturday night bath tonight. Get all cleaned up, get everything, get your hair combed out, put on your best clothes you got. Dab a little, little perfume on you, you go into town. But we're going to go to town tonight. We're going to go to town when nobody sees you. We're going to go to town late because we want Boaz to, to be good and ready. Naomi knows it's, the season has come and gone, and what happens is once you bring in the barley, then there's this process of, 
of taking care of it. And that process is a, a, a thing that requires the men to stay late at night and come back early in the morning. And because of that, they just sleep at, at, the, at the, the place. So Naomi knows what's going to happen. So she says, Ruth, what I want you to do is I want you to go over there and I want you to wait. After he's had his dinner, after he's had a few drinks, when he goes lay down, you go notice where he lays down. And when he lays down, you go lay at his feet. I don't know if she had a conversation. Now listen, he's probably not bathed. Those feet probably stink. I don't know. But she says, uncover his feet. And you lay there. Now let me tell you some risks that are involved with this. Uh, first, let me tell you about the feet. The feet, the only reason, and you'll see this in a minute, the only reason to uncover the feet, there's no hidden meaning there. How many like cold feet at night? Yeah, nobody likes cold feet. And so when she uncovers Boaz's feet, there's more of a chance for him to wake up because his feet are uncovered. That's the only reason for the uncovering the feet. But the risk that, that Ruth's going to take, the first risk is she's going out at night as a woman. And, and not all the characters there are honest characters. These men are hardworking men. And to find a woman at that night kind of leads them to believe that she might be more than, might be looking for something more. Now the one thing Naomi knows and Ruth knows is Boaz has already told his men in the second chapter in verse 9 says don't you don't you touch her you leave her alone but there's still this chance that she can run into somebody the, the second thing is there's this opportunity for her to be seen and if she's seen and caught people will not think she's of noble character they'll think that she's She's doing something shady. Uh, if you remember the first week when we talked about uh, the gods of, of this, of what's going on right now, Baal is their god, and Baal is a god of, of, of grain and produce. They don't all worship God Almighty. And, and even the Israelites sometimes get, get mixed up because they're wanting, they're wanting their crops to be well. And so sometimes, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little extra or pay a little extra attention to Baal. But in order for their crops to be successful, there was this, this prostituting that would go on because it, it mimicked the, the gods having intercourse that would help the crops to grow. In fact, Hosea tells us this in, in Hosea 9.1. Israel, do not reject jubilantly as nations do, for you have acted promiscuously, leaving your God. You love the wages of the prostitute on every grain threshing floor. In other words, that was a practice. It was a practice in which a prostitute would show up and it would, it would kind of give uh, uh, much like we, we give an offering. It was an offering unto their God to say, make this multiply and grow. And so there is the risk for Ruth that if she's caught by other people, well, she's practicing this cult and she's prostituting herself out. 
But the risk is worth it. The risk is, is needed. And so Naomi sets out with an intentional plan for Ruth. You, you need to go. How intentional are you in regards to your relationship with God? How intentional are you when it comes to, to your love relationship growing in Christ? Is it something you're intentional or is it something that just happens? Is it something you do daily or is it something that happens just when you come to church? How intentional are you in that relationship? Yesterday morning, I was reminded of, of this thought. Um, some of you have asked this morning. I, 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 since last Sunday night, I went home with a stomach bug and, and haven't gotten out of bed much this week. And trust me, if you don't have it, don't get it. It's, it's been a, a long week, a frustrating week. Not feeling good, not doing it. And, and yesterday was my best day in I went up to my office and sat down and, 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 and had my quiet time. And I was struck that I hadn't done that all week. I hadn't spiritually fed myself all week. Oh, you can say, well, you were sick. And, and, and that's true. I didn't feel like much. But, you know, in every part of my day, somewhere I got out of bed for, for a few hours. I, there's no reason I couldn't have read my, God's Word. There's no reason I couldn't spiritually have filled uh, of, of taking care of myself. We need to be intentional. We need to be intentional in our relationship because if we're not intentional, it can, can slip away. Naomi is intentional here to help Ruth find rest. You and I know where the greatest rest comes from is God above. And we can find that rest in him if we're intentional. Now, the second thing we find in this, in this text is to be clear. To, to find rest in God, we've got to be clear. In verses 6 through 11, we find we're Ruth says, okay, to Naomi, and she says, I'm, I'm going to go, and I'll do what you tell me to do. And so she does that very thing. But it's interesting. There's a little, there's a little difference in what, what Naomi tells her and what Ruth does. Look with me. Uh, verse 4 of our text says, when he lies down, notice the place where he's lying and go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then, what? Who? Oh, wait just a second. This is your part of the message. Then, the rest of you will get that in a minute. Then he will explain to you what you should do. Now, look what happens. So, he asks, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Now, take, there you go, see, you're following along. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. 
That's not what Naomi said. Naomi says, hey, you go lay down at his feet. When he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you what to do. Um, it, it, it's interesting here. We, let's, let's talk about him waking up first. The text tells us he was startled. So, show of hands. How many, when you're startled, you just scream? Just be honest. Yeah, some, some of you just, you know, some of you are lying. That's okay. We're in church. Got, got to spite you. Um, uh, how many of you, when you're startled, you don't say anything? You just kind of jump. Yeah, I'm a jumper. You know, if not too long ago, uh, I, you know, I, I like to get people all the time, and my wife thought it'd be funny just to get me, and she got me really good. I mean, it's a wonder I didn't fall to the floor when, you know. Um, but I don't, I don't, I'm not a screamer. Now, there are others, uh, there are others, and I could start naming some of you in this room who I love to get because you scream really loud. Think about this. When Boaz is startled, if he screams loudly, what's liable to happen? Other men are going to come. What happened? What's going on? But, he, but we, don't, we don't know that he didn't. We don't know that he did. But we know that nobody else came. And so he turns and says, who is this? Of course, then Ruth identifies herself. Now, to the point I wanted to catch. I just, I just think that's an interesting thought there that there, there's a moment for her to get caught in, in God's providence. She doesn't. Naomi says, he'll tell you what to do. Ruth tells Boaz what she wants. Ruth and Pam Carter have a lot in common. No joke. Ruth basically looks at Boaz and says, I want you to marry me. Because the wording there is to, is to depending on your translation, your translation may say, put, spread your covering over me, or the CSB as we read said, spread your wing over me. That is a symbol and a sign of marriage. Not she's cold. It's a, it's a common thought process of marriage. Now, Pam Carter didn't ask me to marry her. That's not what, I mean, but she did ask me out first. Now, listen, it's a sensitive subject. I would tell you not to go talk to her about that because she kind of gets, she kind of gets upset when, when people, but she and Ruth are both powerful women who, who are aggressive and are clear. Um, Ruth said, marry me. Pam said, go out with me. So that's what I did. But there's this, there's this, there's this, clear communication. She doesn't, she doesn't wait and play games with, with Boaz and say, well, let me give you some guesses, see if you can figure out what I'm thinking about. She just comes out and says, this is what I want. You know, the question I have is, how clear are we with God? When we're trying to find rest, how clear are we with God in that we need to to find rest, that the world is caving in on us or the pressure of this world or things are happening. How clear are we with God going, God, at this moment, I just need, I need your peace. I, I, I need to find comfort. 
Not that our problems will go away, not that things will dissolve, but that in the midst of all the, the, the turmoil that we face, that we can have peace. We can find rest with God. I think sometimes we, we're not being clear from, to God what we want. Oh, we're clear and going, God, I, I, want, you to, I want you to deal with this. But let's be clear. I really just need rest and peace. I trust that you've got this under control. I trust that your ways are better than my ways. I, I realize that I may not understand how you're going to work it out, but just give me rest and peace in this moment. You see, I think, I think we get lost in what we're praying about. I think we get lost in thinking we need to direct God's path. When the thing is, God doesn't need any help. He's got it worked out. What we need at the moment is rest and peace in him. But in order for us to be clear with God, there's got to be this honesty that comes. And that's our third, third point today, is be honest. There has to come a point where we're, we're honest with God. And that honesty has to come to a place where we realize our mistakes and failures. And that there's a repentance from it. Now, I was honest with you earlier in that this week, I, I, I just didn't have that quiet time. You know, there was a couple times, I, I thought it was interesting, there was a couple times during the week that, that I realized Sunday's coming. And so I would go to my office and try to sit there and, and I'd read over this text and I'd try to, and, and just, it was just, wasn't much coming. But, and, and I, and I, let me just tell you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm not going to hell because I missed this week's quiet time. You're not going to hell because you've not had a quiet time this week. It, God doesn't make it about a checklist in that if we, if we don't do these things, we, we get a frowny face. And if we get too many frowny faces, well, you just missed heaven by a few frowny play, faces. That's not the way it goes. It's all about a relationship. It's all about recognizing and being honest that we need that relationship. And for some of us, we need to be clear and then be honest with God. We need to be honest that we're missing out on the things that God has for us. Let me say this, let me say this directly to the camera for a moment. If you're at home and, and you've been home because of COVID, we, we understand that. But there comes a point where you, you have to decide, is it time to come back or not? And I can tell you, we miss you. And we need you. And you need us. We miss seeing you. We miss growing together. We know that the Bible teaches us that we are in need of relationships. And so sitting at a home on our pajamas to worship God is just not filling that need. But then there's some in the room who... You, you need to understand it's, it's time to come back. Be back in your Sunday school class. Growing in Christ. We need that togetherness, that growing together. The church grows better when we're striving and growing together. 
Listen, we, we're going to grow spiritually in circles more than we will rows. And so we need to be together. And for some of us, we just need to be honest. Yeah, we're sitting, we're staying at home for no other reason than laziness. Because if you can go to Walmart, if you can go to the ball game, if you can go out to eat, you have no excuse not to come to church and be involved. None. None. Now listen, we have some folks like at Howland Ridge. It, it's, it's probably best served that you don't get out. And we understand that. So we want you to, to know that. We love our folks at Highland Ridge and are grateful for our TV ministry there. But let's, if we want to find rest in the midst of this pandemic, let's start being honest. Honest where we are with God. Honest where we are with our brothers and sisters. Because God wants us to, to grow. And in growing, we find rest. And there's really no excuse any longer. The fourth thing we find in this text is be expected. Be expected. Uh, when we look at this text, we, Naomi, Ruth hears all, Naomi, Ruth comes back, Naomi goes, okay, what happened? T tell me everything. Did you wait until the right time? Did, did he wake up? How long was he asleep? Did, did it take him forever? What did he say when you woke up? You can, you can just imagine the conversation. Ruth tells her everything. But look what Naomi says here in verse 18. And, and, and I love this is how the chapter ends. Praise the Lord, this is not the end of the book. But it says, Naomi said, my daughter, she has that four-letter word that nobody likes. Wait until you find out how things go. For he won't rest unless he resolves this today. But that four-letter word, wait. Now, show of hands. Anybody like to wait? Let it be known. I, I didn't see any hands come up. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm a terrible person when it comes to waiting. Um, I, I want, you know, let's, you know, I, every time I have my car serviced, they always look at me and go, would you like to make an appointment for the next time you come back? And I always look at them and say, no, because you won't accept my appointment. You take other cars in front of me. So I'm going to come when I want to come and you'll have to deal with me. I don't always say that. That's what I want to say. And then I always get this survey going, how was your customer service? It would be better if you would take appointment and hold it. We are people, maybe you're not. I'm a person who struggles with weight, you know. A few years ago, the New York Times did an article. Uh, uh, the journalist was Alex Stone, and, and it was all on the Houston airport. Anybody th been through Houston in the airport? Yeah. If you've been through Houston, you, you might appreciate this. Uh, Houston Airport had more complaints from people at baggage claim than, than most airports. And so, so they, they, you know, do those surveys and people complain going, need my bags and waiting, waiting, waiting too long. So they wanted to be better at their customer service. And so they hired more people 
to help get the bag off the plane, get it on the, on the, the two-wheeler or the cart, and then get the cart to the, uh, to the conveyor belt and then throw them on the conveyor belt. And they, they hired more people and found out that the complaints didn't go down. People still complained. So they had this brilliant idea. <laughs> and it really is a brilliant idea. What they started doing is putting the, the incoming terminals further from baggage claim. So it's the same amount of time, but you've got to walk longer to get your baggage. And the complaints went down. What they learned was, people don't mind waiting if you're occupied. In fact, in that, that article, a, uh, they interviewed an MIT grad uh, or teacher, Richard uh, Lawrence, who said, it's about the unoccupied time that drives people crazy. It's okay if you're occupied and have something to do in, in your journey. Walking from the further place to get your luggage, not a big deal. For those of you who, who like reading a book, you take a book with you if you're having your car serviced or if you know you're going to be at the doctor's office. You, you enjoy the book, you get caught up in the book, and the wait seems to go by. It's when there's unoccupied time when you just are sitting there and you realize, I didn't bring anything. Now, some of that's gone down because we all have smartphones and now we go, I wonder what's going on in the world. But even that still causes us frustration because we're not really doing anything except waiting. And we know that. So how do you, how do you fix that? Three things I would tell you. When, when you're, if we're going to be expecting on God, go back and be intentional in your relationship with him. Go back and be clear. Go back and be honest. Because it's about our love relationship with the Lord. And if we're focused on those things, the, the wait time will pass us by. But here's the thing. The question is all about what are we doing and how are we finding rest in God? There are several things we do as parents, as adults. We, we have learned over the years that there are things that, that we're required to do. Some of us are at that point where we, we take a lot of medicine every day. We know that we don't function well without it. We know that if we don't have it, the day's not going well. So we take our medicine. We teach our children, and, and we practice this practice that we brush our teeth. Now, I got that out of my back pocket. I don't use that one, okay? Just so you know. But we teach our children to brush their teeth. Why? Because we want their teeth to be healthy. We practice that. We know that it's important to do that, and we do that. We've learned that, that it's important to, to earn a living, to, to make money, because somebody's got to pay for the lights, somebody's got to pay for the heat, somebody's got to pay for the gas in the car, unless you're ciphering it out of somebody else's car. But you've got to buy a hose and a can. But you've got to, you've got to earn money. We know all those things, and we do all those things. But here's the thing. Do you understand we've got to have a right relationship with God? 
That's just as important as taking our medicine and brushing our teeth. It's to grow in Christ. It's to grow in Christ. That's the only way we're going to find rest in a world of unrest. So this morning, how much rest are you getting in God? Do you find rest with Him? Or are you struggling? You, you, you're doing all these other things and missing the rest that he, that he requires of us. This morning, can I tell you, it's just simple. It's about being intentional, being clear, being honest, and then being expected. And while you're expected, you're intentional, clear, and honest. If you're here this morning, and maybe it's time for you to find rest. If you want prayer, I'll be here at the altar. Mike Thomason will be out in the lobby. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, everything we've just talked about doesn't happen if you don't have a right relationship, if you don't surrender yourself to Christ. So today, would you do that? Let's stand together.